0: lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Thursday to all of you. Thank you for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. You are you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E is how to spell the last name. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Show. at least for now. I think all of us are on some measure of borrowed time on those platforms. So just go to the places that don't try to censor us, that uh, are not necessarily in the back pocket of the regime. MeWe, Parlor Gab, and Getter. Look for Steve Dace or Steve Dace Show on each of those platforms in the case of Getter. Uh, you can also go to rumble.com slash Steve Show as well to get clips of the show that are not censored and free to watch at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Uh, I'm heading out of here right after the show. Uh, Heading down to Texas, we've got some uh, final shooting to do for the movie this weekend. Uh, And it will be within somewhat of a proximity to where the blaze is located. So I figured why not just go down there, kill two birds with one stone. So tomorrow I'll be doing the show from down there. You guys will be up here. Saturday, it is going to be 67 degrees in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I know this this is going to sound weird to probably a lot of you. I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to getting up on Saturday, grabbing like an hour and a half long podcast or a couple of them and going on like a five plus mile walk in that weather. Even the the fact that that is an option to me this weekend kind of cheers me up a little bit. You know what I'm saying?
2: Oh, well, I was there with you, so I know exactly. Yeah, so you what know, because
1: we were there at this time last year, and I I got up one of those mornings and yes, did that. Did. Yeah, just to just to again, like Rusty and Mask, the sun shining on my face. Yes. All right, uh, we want to introduce you to a brand new partner here on the program because it is literally a matter of life or death. I cannot tell you how many uh, emails requests we have gotten on this show look for people looking for those who will properly treat them with COVID-19 or at least be willing to treat them whatsoever. Uh, There is a new option. We've given you so many uh, over the last uh, year now. There's a brand new option we want to tell you about, mygotodoc.com, mygotodoc, all one word, M-Y-G-O-T-O-D-O-C, mygotodoc.com. All right. This is an excellent opportunity with Dr. Sayed Uh, He has treated over forty thousand COVID patients, over forty thousand with zero deaths. Treating COVID—that's all that he does. That's all he does is treat COVID and COVID patients, and he's treated over forty thousand of them. Third, and and this is this is the this is a key aspect here because we've been able to connect you to several. Uh, doctors around the country that I've gotten to know that are also doing great work, but the full integrative process where if they do prescribe hydroxy or ivermectin, and now they're trying to go after budenicide and some of these other things as well. um, Sometimes you can't get those filled, right? That's why we had to launch a federal Mm -hmm. lawsuit against Walmart and target. Uh, They can connect you uh, to pharmacies that around the country that they are connected with there. That can do that for you. So one stop, get it all done, get the treatments you need, and then directly how you can get the prescriptions that you may need as well. All right. Mygotodoc.com. You can make that a key source for you uh, in the battle against COVID-19. All right. My go-to doc. That's where you want to go. Mygo2c.com. doc.com. right, coming up on the show today, speaking of doctors. Theology Thursday, we will continue our look that we began last week at Scott Atlas's new book, A Plague Upon Our House, cuz this year we want to study the enemy. We're going to study the spirit of the age. How does it behave? What does it do? And then what tactics are effective against this? And I can tell you right now, I'm already I'm only 3 chapters into this puppy. This Atlas book is going to show us be a, be a great tool and showing us what tactics do not work against the enemy. I'm either going to have to stop reading this guys or you're going to have to collect bail money. That will be our next tax deductible endeavor here on the program. Bail Steve out. Okay, I I'm I'm like wow. And we've not even, you know what? I don't want to spoil it. We'll just we'll talk about it next hour cuz we're not even to the parts in the book yet where he's going to even confront the other side and already already I'm like zen now zen now all right cuz I want to fire up the iced tea mama's got to die tonight reading some of this stuff okay so we will get to it uh next hour also three non political questions coming your way um at the bottom of this hour good friend of the show And a guy who has been uh, just an incredibly valuable resource in the fight against COVID stand. Ian Miller is going to join us. And a lot of the charts and stuff that uh, people like me have been able to share with you over these last 23 months, he has either inspired or flat out was responsible for constructing them. He's got a brand new book out, Unmasking the Mask Holes. We will talk to him about that coming up at the bottom of this hour. But before we begin all of that, Here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away.
3: What happened while we were away brought to you by Dr. Fauci comes for your kids yet again.
0: And the original data that was put forth, it looked like the dose and the regimen for the children who were six months to 24 months worked well, but it turned out that the other dose, namely the other group from 24 months to four years, did not yet reach the level of non-inferiority so the studies are continued it looks like it will be a three-dose regimen in completely unrelated
3: news here's project veritas again with a whistleblower from new york
0: they <laughs> yeah. store the it in the vial in the bags and they're like, oh, this is not the sailing. But then once this, they reach the supervisor, other teams have already given vaccines. Oh, with the vaccine? With it the yes. Yeah. In the rush to get everyone vaccinated, New York contracted with DocGo and their subsidiary, Ambulance, to provide COVID vaccine clinics throughout New York.
3: Yeah. They should have did, like, incident reports, no? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's what everyone <laughs> would
0: I have been in the pediatric field since 2006. I. ...applied for a job to administer vaccines. So they decided to call me at 736, which means that some could have already been vaccinated. So you wait to 736 to call me and tell me yeah. that this I may be the wrong person. We were never given an in-service. There's guidelines to abide by as a nurse administering any vaccine.
3: In case you didn't catch that, that's the whistleblower from a government contractor paid to administer vaccines... ...revealing that said contractor mixed up the vials of therapeutic with some other substance and administered it to children. In further completely unrelated news, the FDA has stonewalled the process of releasing many thousands of pages of documents pertaining to the safety of the COVID jabs. A judge had previously ordered the FDA to produce these documents in short order after the agency had originally been given 75 years to do so. The FDA now says it can't meet the judge's order until May because of a lack of resources. In other news, the country of Denmark is easing all COVID restrictions. The prime minister says COVID-19 is no longer a, quote, socially critical threat, with the country's health minister adding any further restrictions would cause further divisions in that society. As we discussed yesterday, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is stepping down. Joe Biden has promised in the past to nominate a white, straight, orthodox, Christian male to the Supreme Court. Of course, that's not true. He promised to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court because all that matters is what's between your legs and what the color of your skin is. Anywho, here's an Indian woman with her thoughts.
1: We're going to miss him, but it is also
3: an opportunity to bring in someone new. And I'm mm. delighted that President Biden will be standing by his pledge to bring in an African-American woman,
0: uh, I just, I think it's terrific.
3: It's- Here's what Biden had to say on the matter.
4: But uh, um, I uh, might point out here, uh when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It... it uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much.
3: The audio streaming service Spotify has removed all of Neil Young's content from their platform after the man said the company would have to choose between him or Rogan, but not both, which begs yet another important question. Who is Neil Young? Surgeon General Vivek Murthy is calling for the censorship of Rogan.
0: There's something I've always
4: believed as a doctor is that people have the right to make their own decisions, but they also have the right to have accurate information. When it comes to how we root out the misinformation in society right now and give people access to actual and inf- accurate information, we've got to do several things. Number one, we've got to recognize that our technology platforms, whether particularly social media, these have an important role to play. These are the predominant places where we're seeing misinformation spread.
3: YouTube has permanently banned syndicated radio host Dan Bongino from its platform, citing COVID
0: misinformation. And finally, this from the Babylon Biggie. Ever since I was mass produced in a factory, people have been trying to put labels on me. Nutrition labels, expiration dates, telling me I was biologically chocolate on the inside. But deep down, I knew I wasn't who they said I was. I was. I am. A Skittle. Part of moving forward is accepting responsibility for your past. The people at Mars Inc, they weren't bad people, they were just ignorant. They thought they knew what candy I was just because they knew my exact chemical composition, but we are not our biology. We're holding ourselves accountable for the way in which accurate product descriptions caused hurt and pain to the transcandy community. I, I just woke up one day and realized I am not defined by the chocolate center I was made with. I am, and always was, a delicious grape Skittle, and I'm proud of it. So Mars has committed to never again assigning an identity to the candy we produce. Instead, we'll let each candy decide for himself or herself or Skittle self who they really are. And that's what happened well we were away.
1: What did I just watch?
3: Babylon be at its finest.
1: How about the fact we had to ask that, that we could, we could, we could conceive of a world where that would not be parody. You know what I'm saying? I do. I mean, if that was an actual Eminem Mars commercial, would you be surprised? No. Neither would I. Not in the absolute least. I would not. Aaron's Montage, brought to you by my Patriot Supply. You know, the average American family only stores maybe a week's worth of food at home because the average American family has to live paycheck to paycheck these days. Uh, it's funny. You know, we got mom and dad working together more than ever before, and yet people have the least amount of savings and discretionary income as Americans than like we've had like ever before. It's kind of funny how that works. Weird, huh? Anyway, uh, if, if you're concerned that, uh, it, well, it, it could never happen here, happens here, again because we've had a set, we've had several, it could never happen here, happen here in the last 23 months. Uh, Make sure you're prepared this time with food should it go down. All right. Uh, A four week kit, an emergency food kit from my Patriot supply comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, even snacks, 2000 plus calories a day for you and all your loved ones stored uh, for up to 25 years with the proper storage so that you know, you've got the peace of mind You're prepared should it happen again. Go to preparewithdace.com. Get $50 off per kit right now. $50 off per kit right now when you go to preparewithdace.com. Again, preparewithdace.com. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. And Surgeon General Murthy. I've got a nifty idea. And maybe they, maybe he just hasn't thought about this, right? It's entirely possible. He just, they haven't considered it. But by a lot of metrics, Joe Rogan is the most watched and or listened to media figure in America right now. We're talking an average of like 10 million podcast listeners per episode. I mean, that, that clip of, of Surgeon General Murthy was on MSNBC, right? I mean, I, I, I think it's entirely possible that on many days of the week, Joe Rogan has 10 times the audience than MSNBC has, 10 times. And I mean, I, I would assume he is extremely concerned as the Surgeon General about misinformation and disinformation during a pandemic, right? You, I, I'll take him at his word that he's concerned about mm-hmm. that. And if he's concerned that arguably the most popular media figure, regardless of platform in America, is a primary spreader of this misinformation and disinformation, or at least providing himself, as a, his show as a conduit or a platform for it to be communicated through their show by others uh, to the detriment of their audience with lives at stake, Has the Surgeon General considered? I'm just gonna throw this out there. Maybe it's crazy. You guys tell me what you think. Has he considered going on Joe Rogan's show?
2: You're adorable.
1: Has he thought about that? <laughs> you rascal. <laughs> what? I mean, that just seems to be. I mean, we're Occam's Razors folk, folks around here, right? I mean, just the least amount of assumptions would be just go on the show. You're the Surgeon General. Joe Rogan thinks cannabis is a food group, okay? So just go on his show and correct it. How hard can that be? Like, I remember way back early in my career when the Romney for President campaign was very concerned when I had this little local show here in Iowa that we were, they, they also accused me of spreading a lot of disinformation and, and the disinformation they accused me of spreading, by the way, was actual audio and video clips of their candidate in his own words, essentially being on the wrong end of every issue that we would care about. But You know, they demand, they demanded to come on. Of course, I let them come on, you know, and, and they corrected the record. Is that what happened? No, no. um, They got curb stomped because I played all the same clips for them. They had no answers for them. And um, the guy who outspent the entire field combined uh, ended up losing on caucus night by nine points to a governor from Arkansas, whose name barely anyone could pronounce and his alma mater, absolutely no one could pronounce. And I still cannot. That's what happened. So, do you think that could be why so here is a you know a uh, a very very wealthy man with his own financial empire ran the olympics and he got pimp slapped by a community college uh flunky in des moines iowa because i was the one telling the truth and he was not because he really got pimp slapped by the truth right that's willard lost to the truth in iowa not to me right is it possible, therefore, that the tatted-up uh, cannabis-is-a-fifth-food-group talk show host known as Joe Rogan might be able to do the exact same thing to Surgeon General Murthy because he's telling the truth and Murphy's the one lying? And maybe that's why, that's why they haven't gone on Mr. Rogan's show. Thoughts?
2: Well, of course, but probably the most important thing is that Pfizer isn't a sponsor of Joe Rogan, mm. True. or Lockheed Martin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Politico running a headline the other day, beating the beating the drums of war for with Russia over Ukraine, and then it says at the top, "Brought to you by Lockheed Martin." But this is that's not that wasn't the Babylon B, That was real friggin' life that happened.
2: And I had the same reaction when I first saw it. I did not post it at all, and then Aaron brought it up because I thought it was the M&M commercial. I couldn't tell if it was real or not.
3: No. We, we, it was real. I it, click on the link, and...
1: On a given day, I don't... I used to I I you know. I used to say on the show all the time, when I grew up, I want to work at the Babylon Bee. I'm not sure that's true anymore. You know how freaking hard that job is right now? <laughs> Seriously, you know how hard it is to come up with stuff that that hasn't that's not happening it's like the didn't the producers at black mirror say they weren't going to do another season in 2020 because of uh of, of what was going on in real life it just it just seemed like uh, overkill to come up with more of those kinds of storylines since that's where we were living now we're black mirror episodes that's why you call them black mirror updates yes. right okay so there's a very simple solution to this The Surgeon General of the United States can just go on a show with a much larger audience. And by the way, guys, this is not like some massive right wing audience. Rogan himself is probably a little surprised in the last few years to have discovered, similar to a Bill Maher who was talking the other day about he's shocked to see the amount of right wingers that are now sharing his content. All right. Rogan himself is probably surprised to know that. uh, in, you know, it's not just 10 plus million bro dudes watching, but it turns out there's, you know, um, there there's a lot of suburban uh, Republicans who are more prefer Peloton uh, to CrossFit and do not think uh, cannabis uh, is a food group that are suddenly finding his show interesting and illuminating. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is not this is not a show that is explicitly from another political angle. I think Rogan voted for Bernie Sanders or something in the last primary cycle, mm-hmm. didn't he? Yep. I don't know. Yeah. He did. I think he at least endorsed him if I remember right. So here's a question then as a follow-up. If the Surgeon General doesn't feel like as if it is safe to go on a show with a guy who voted for Bernie Sanders or at least endorsed him in the last presidential cycle and considers marijuana a food group if he doesn't feel as if it's safe for him to go and engage him and correct his disinformation what does that tell you about the information that mr murphy and his ilk are peddling what do you think that tells you
3: they need 75 years to release the uh, safety information uh, yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah i'm going there next but yeah what does that tell you that brings me to where I was going to go next. Sorry. That's all right. Great minds think alike. It's fine. Why Why are they so hesitant to show us what's in these jabs that are not vaccines? Why? It seems to me all, and I mean all, of the potential answers to that question are bad. All of them are. They all are. You can't even make a proprietary intellectual property case because our own Biden himself has said that he thinks that these should not have, they're so important, they should not have proprietary rights to these. This, is, this should be open-sourced information. And for a lot of countries around the world, they agree and they're doing that. So, I mean, you can't even make a case just good old-fashioned corporate greed. But if you could, if that didn't apply here, if it did apply here that would actually be the least uncomfortable answer that, that they, 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 they want to hoard the information of a, of a life saving product for money now hell is full of people like that right, right mm-hmm. now and consider that that would be your most comforting possible answer to why they do not want this information out and available to the public And that, we consider that to be a very bad answer? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, I'm pretty confident that's probably the best possibility, the alternative we could come up with. All the answers get much worse from there. And they, and they, and they start becoming plot lines to left behind books from there. There are no good answers to this. Thoughts?
2: Well, both of these uh, issues you brought up fundamentally have to do with what you we if you care about the truth sooner or later everybody comes to the table in some way shape or form but we are we're post truth now this it we are full-on narrative you there's why would this it's this guy doesn't have any incentive the the uh, surgeon general to go on joe rogan show or any other show to debate anything what covid the color blue nothing it's about narrative and therefore you don't have sides you just have my side
1: yep the hegelian dialectic the thesis and the antithesis merge into just one narrative that's what you're describing you're not going to you you,
2: you, which
1: is why also why you know we're as brazen
2: as getting rid of um uh on the uh youtube just got rid of Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino. Bongino. Yeah, Yeah. you're you're not. You we we don't have to acknowledge your popularity, uh, the amount of voices you speak to. That those are fellow citizens. No, you just need to go because we have the power to do so, and our preference wins. Our narrative wins by default. That's it. People complaining about not having a seat at the table. Uh, it, it, are, are you not paying attention to the rules that they've been clearly uh, established? Yeah, you don't have a seat at the table. Those are the new rules. This is why Jesse Kelly's reminder all the time is dead on uh, when he's when he riffs on, you know, when I'm in power kind of thing. He's just saying this and you, your rules, your rules. So when it's my turn. Oh, yeah, there's going to be blood in the streets. He's just telling them where this goes. If you guys don't stop and remember, this is America.
3: What Todd is describing, I'm just tr- trying to make this as absurd as possible. Let's just pretend, let's pretend Joe Rogan does interview and, and Vivek Murthy does agree to be interviewed by Joe Rogan. Rogan could go on there and ask Murthy, what two plus two? Surgeon General, what, what, is, what is the sum of two plus two? And Murthy could respond, and I quote, pineapple squirrel, period. And immediately, the entire engine of every single institution, whether it's media or elsewhere, whether it's government, whether it's academia, all of a sudden, they would be making shrines to whatever the hell pineapple squirrel means. Yes, yes. That's what Todd is describing here. Yes. Mm -hmm. They live in a completely different ecosystem and they are allowed to continue because they control, they control every, almost every single lever and institution that would challenge them. That's what he's describing. So facts are irrelevant. The only thing that is, is the narrative.
1: The UK today, the first country in the world to officially end all COVID restrictions, no jab passes for public events, no indoor masks, nothing. Everything's gone. The country we once rebelled from in order to maintain and acquire our liberty as a, as a people has now restored its people's liberty before ours has to our shame. And I really believe... This is all because there is a there is a another political viable political element in that country that has not been completely absorbed into the Tory Labor duopoly, and it's the movement that Nigel Farage is kind of seen as the face of. And even though I th- I, I I think the last time I looked and it's been a few years they got maybe a handful of people elected to parliament ever. Yet he was able to mobilize that sentiment into arguably the most impactful election since the end of the cold war, Brexit. And see, I think Brexit is what accelerated a lot of these kind of great reset ideas because I think the elites thought they had more time and they saw, Oh, we don't. And that's why they just as we're responding to the fact, hey, we're in the end game now looking at where they're where they're going. I think yeah. they looked at what Brexit was and thought. And then remember, Trump came on the heels of Brexit.
2: We were talking about before the show started. I think Trump is America's Brexit.
1: Yeah, to some degree. Yeah, or at least it confirmed their suspicions yes, that yes. a massive uprising against what we have tried Correct. for to meticulously put into place for decades is afoot. We have to now yes. a, a, a combine con, a, those efforts into one confluence of events oh, yeah. and go for the and go for the the brass uh, monkey now. I'm certain, right, right. now. I'm certain. Yep. Okay, but what's happened in that country though is because there is a viable political movement that can acquire a voice and influence outcomes without being completely absorbed into the, the duopoly of, the, of Tories and labor, it has held the, the feet to the fire of Boris Johnson and, 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 and even the way they conduct their, their science and data in that country. And, that's why, and that is why I think it is the first to give up on COVID stand restrictions. We don't have that here. Everything's R versus D. Well, we have a few examples of it now. Guys like Ron DeSantis in Florida, and that's why they hate him so much. They don't want those sorts of options outside of their corporate system to exist. More in a moment. Yeah, for guys, hair loss can be a sensitive subject, and that's a lot of times why guys don't seek out treatment, is because they love, I'm sorry, hate admitting they have a problem. Thankfully, though, you've got keeps that will help you keep it to yourself while you get the help you need. All of it online. One of their licensed physicians will give you the recommended treatment, unique for you. You'll get access to that person for an entire year, anytime you need it as well. Uh, and then you get the generic versions of the uh, leading hair loss uh, products out there. So you save money off the top with that. And then they give you a big discount to get you started on your first order, half off when you go to keeps.com slash grow, all of it done online, delivered right to your door. So you can keep it uh, just between you and your hair uh, and get the treatment that you're looking for at keeps, K-E-E-P-S, for Keeps.com slash grow. Again, half off your first order to get you started today at keeps.com slash grow. The name of the book is Unmasked the Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. It's got a fairly impressive uh, slate of endorsements at the front. Clay Travis, Thomas Woods, and Coulter. Uh, Apparently they needed one more. So yours truly is in there as well. Uh, Ian Miller has been one of the most indispensable weapons against COVID Stan these last 23 months. And he joins us now on the show. It's good to see you again, Ian. How are you?
4: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me back.
1: So there's this ad hoc group of us that began pushing back on this from virtually the beginning. And most of us did not know each other. And just and come from varying backgrounds and things of that nature. I, I mean, um, I was talking last segment, Todd. We were r- reminiscing about my famous intra-party wars with the Romney presidential campaign, mm-hmm. and Justin Hart, who's one of the f- very first pushback uh, uh, pushbackers against COVID. Stan, he was a data guy on that on that campaign, right? So there's a lot of people from different persuasions and backgrounds that just wanted to know what the truth is that were kind of drawn to this. What drew you into that for, into this battle, and what's your background with all of this, Ian?
4: Well, I think what drew me into it was really, um, I wanted to see the impact myself. You know all these things that we were doing, all these changes were having huge societal impacts, and we were closing everything, and I wanted to see, you know, is it making a difference? And being in California, obviously there's been few places that have done more to try to stop COVID than California and it was pretty obvious in the summer that it wasn't really having an impact. Um, you know, and I I do a lot of, in my daily job, I had done a lot of kind of analysis and, and data analysis, and it was, uh, so it kind of led me into that path of looking and saying, okay, well, we did all this, and then what have been the results afterwards? Um, and it was pretty obvious, even by early 2020, that it really wasn't having any impact.
1: So, you go from that to, to literally becoming a menace to society with what you have done. And, and I say that as a compliment and, and it goes to show the accuracy of your work that it has survived on these platforms for as long as it has. Uh, and people have asked me how come I've survived when several others that are even were kind of in this ad hoc group have been banned I think there's a couple things for me. One is I'm associated with a very large platform in the blaze. So if you look at a lot of the people that get banned, Bongino's a unique situation with YouTube because he's competing against them. So I think that's a bit of an outlier. But if you look at the people that get banned, like Alex Berenson and people like this, a lot of them are independent. In my case, if you ban me, I've got a a fairly large platform that kind of goes to war on my behalf. All right. The other thing, though, is I try not to make um conclusions with the data I present beyond what conclusions that data draws, if that makes sense. Like I I don't try to say this will now happen because of this. And and so I keep it confined to a very tight information stream so I don't outkick my coverage because I've seen many times this the stuff that gets you banned now will be proven true in three to six months usually, right? And so I think this speaks to you as an independent guy out there, how you have survived this long because of how buttoned down your data is. Tell, talk about that a little bit.
4: I completely agree. I think that's that's been a goal of mine is to try to keep the conclusions fairly uh, buttoned down as far as, you know, talking about mask mandates and not just mask. That's, I know that's a big thing with, with Twitter for example, um, I mean, obviously, you can't have mask mandates fail if masks work. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of let people get to that conclusion themselves, I think it's uh, it's helpful. I, and and I agree, the the data is the data. It, it is what it is. It comes exactly from the CDC. It comes from Johns Hopkins, or the New York Times, or the World Health Organization. You know, there's no uh, it, none of this is anything that I'm creating on my own. All I'm literally doing is taking a download and doing a cell sheet and and just creating the chart and showing and looking up. Well, okay, well, when did we do these things and you know, I, I feel extremely confident that any time if somebody questions anything, I can point to them and say, here, go here and I'll tell you, I'll walk you through how to recreate it yourself. And if you find any differences, let me know, because and nobody's done that in, in over two years of doing this or around two years of doing this. So, yeah, it, it's key on my in my perspective to just try and present the data as clearly and concisely as possible and let people come to the conclusions that the data shows them they should be coming to.
1: Were you surprised that this that the that the despite all the hype the adulation the genuflection the religious reverence almost as if the mask was a totem is as, is as, as a is a religious idol of some kind of you know mystical occultic pagan religion of of old were you surprised? at their overall systemic failure from a policy perspective everywhere. Like like it, you couldn't show, it It was never even a debate about what's the grief to profit ratio from an annoyance to effectiveness standpoint. We never even got to that layer of argumentation. It was just, it. it this was just a systemic failure from the very jump of this and has continued on and on. Are, are you surprised that there's no evidence of any level of success?
4: A little bit, especially early on, I would say I was because in theory, you know, with somebody from the outside, it can kind of make sense. Sure. Know, in theory, of wearing a mask. Hey, I remember but, these,
1: these guys will tell you, Ian, the first month of this of the shutdowns, 2020, yeah. I was on here arguing, "Hey, they wear masks in Asia. Why don't we just keep everything open, but we'll wear a mask and 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 therefore we don't have to, you know, destroy our way of life." And then I got emailed before I even got into really looking at masks. I got emailed 80 studies from the last 10 years of every flu. And every other airborne or respiratory virus outbreak that showed they were complete failures, which is why we didn't wear them every flu season our entire lives.
4: Exactly. And that's one of the points I try to make in the book is showing all of the the studies from pre-COVID. And it said, you know, we did all these studies and and every single one of them said they wouldn't work. So it, it in retrospect, we should have never expected it to work because there was never any evidence that it had any chance of working but the consistency with which it fails i think has definitely surprised me you know there's a lot of times where i don't know what the result's going to be and i'll just somebody will say like can you look at this comparison or i'll think of something a comparison and i i put the data in and not knowing what it's going to say and then sure enough every single time it keeps showing the same results where the areas with mass mandates do worse or there's no difference at all or uh you know area puts in a mass mandate and two weeks later cases have skyrocketed or they remove it and nothing happens you know that's one of the things i talked about too was texas you know everybody forgets but when they removed the mass mandate in march of 2021 people lost their minds i mean it mm-hmm. was like their the twitter reaction was insane the avids committing murder i mean people were, were they called it a death cult it's incredible so yeah it, it has been surprising the consistency with which this stuff happens and then in areas like the czech republic where they they you know praised them and started a whole campaign about wearing masks because of the Czech Republic and they wind up at some point in 2021 with the worst death rate in the world. So yeah, this the consistency of with which it fails is a bit surprising at this point.
1: <laughs> Doesn't that tell you as a data guy then that we have moved beyond this is this is not even just political corruption or uh, even levels of political manipulation or even sinister political attempts to you know acquire power and control and and monetize politically a scenario that when there's this much evidence that this fails and there's and there's not really um uh, you know uh, in a correlated pushback collectively of mass defiance and anger from the from society something more is going on here Uh, From I mean this this that it really is in some respects like a religious totem to to a large segment of our population.
4: Yeah, it absolutely does feel like that. I think people have been kind of propagandized by fear. You know, they've been told to fear COVID. That getting COVID is a is a moral, ethical, religious failing, and they're they're kind of like prevention against that. Like I'm never going to get COVID because I do everything right. I wear a mask. Um, and then, you know, as, as that has been proven wrong, instead of accepting that wearing the mask didn't really help them, they just push that blame onto others for not wearing a mask. Well, I was doing everything right. So Mm -hmm. clearly somebody else around me wasn't, and that's the problem. Um, and it's just, I think there's also a, a broader issue of like, I call it the believe in science crowd. You know, you see the yard signs out there, but I this house believes in science. It's like people like that really can't, Fathom a world in which the people that they look up to, their political leaders or their science leaders, uh, for lack of a better word, have been wrong or lying to them, and you know that's not something that they're willing to accept mentally. So it's just kind of this bizarre uh, inability of people to accept reality. It's really and it's it's frankly dangerous in the long term. I want
1: to go back to something you said a few minutes ago about where we got our data from? Because I think this is a this is something that maybe we haven't stressed enough. When talking to our various audiences, this is their data. People like you and I or Justin Hart or Daniel Horowitz or Alex Berenson or uh, I, we don't have the means. We're not doctor, doctors like Robert Malone or Peter McCullough or Pierre Corey in that we are in the field and so therefore can generate data content based off of our own um, experience hands on clinically. We We're not we don't have the ability to do that. And so all of the clinical data that we are looking at and sharing is the system's data, which means this is through its filter. And I think it's demonstrated over the last 23 months it has no problem lying on behalf of a narrative. So I think that is more damning that even using their narrative's data, it disrupts their narrative. If we didn't have to go through that filter, can you only imagine what the raw data would actually look like?
4: Absolutely. Uh, and there's a whole chapter I write in the book about the CDC studies where, over the last couple of years, they tried to say, oh, we did, you know, masks worked. And they, they really have to kind of torture this criteria. To, and, and that's what I, I point out in the book is how a lot of the criteria is really misleading. But they have to kind of torture the criteria to get the answer they want. And the results are still bad. It's still like, oh, we lowered percentages by 0.5% because of mask usage or by 3%. And it's like, you know, you can go back and look at what people were saying in 2020 about what masks were going to do. They were going to end the pandemic. I mean, that's what people were saying. They're going to end the pandemic in a matter of weeks. If everybody just wore a mask, if we get, you know, a 50 to 80% reduction in infections from people wearing masks. So yeah, I I completely agree. When you, even when using their data, it shows that there's been no effect. And, And that tells you like, there really is no effect because they're doing everything that they possibly can to try to make it look like there is, and there still hasn't been.
1: What happens next? Since we're not, since now we're talking on my platform and not Twitter's, I, you do have permission to go there and to expand <laughs> beyond the current hard data and project a little bit. Ian, uh, last thing I want to ask you, what happens next?
4: Um, I, I really hope that the kind of hardcore true believer areas use the kind of omicron wave as like a get out of jail free card where they can say yeah you know look everything that we did before worked then but it doesn't work now and so you know we can we can lift a lot of this stuff and prepare for covid to be endemic uh in reality i don't know that that's ever going to happen i mean you see these these school boards in places like virginia and there was announcement maryland yesterday about like we want indefinite masking we don't see a way for this to ever end I, i mean i as far as Like the rest of the country, I don't think things are going to fundamentally change federally until we have a new presidential administration, which is a couple more years. But um, I think, you know, a lot of the red states, they're done. This is back to normal. But um, federally, you know, getting on a plane, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. And I feel like in a lot of these heavily blue areas, you're just going to see the kind of endless mandates and, and potentially rolling mandates where, okay, we, summer, you cannot wear a mask, but winter is going to wear a mask mask again, even though we just went through a winter with masks and it didn't make a difference in California. So yeah, that's kind of my prediction, but I'm a little bit pessimistic. So hopefully I'm, I'm a little bit uh, off on that.
1: I can't imagine how you could possibly have a pessimistic outlook having lived <laughs> through the last 22 and a half months. Uh, The name of the book, Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates from Ian Miller. Brother, you have been a secret weapon uh, for people like me. And I've tried to make it not so much of a secret by sharing as much of your stuff as I can. So God bless you. Appreciate everything you've done. Keep doing it, okay?
4: Oh, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate all of your work. You
1: bet. Thank you, brother. Take care. Uh, Don't forget that right now um you have upwards of i don't know 360 places in your body from the top of your neck to your feet called joints and it's within these places not of the joe rogan variety uh the joints that you have within your musculature uh and within these places can seep this annoying little thing that can become a big thing called inflammation and it can cause chronic pain uh soreness stiffness achiness If that's you, you're looking for an all natural anti inflammatory backed by a few decades of clinical research in the last couple of years of my daily usage called Omega XL. All right. And I can personally attest to its effectiveness. And right now, they want to offer you buy one, get one free when you go to. omegaxl.com slash Steve. If you want to try it today or go back and try it again, omegaxl.com slash Steve is where you can go for that. Buy one, get one free, or you can give them a call at 800-844-4888. Any feedback on the conversation we just had with Ian Miller?
2: Uh, I was always struck by something with him. He's obviously not a too snarky of a guy in person, but Steve, you just earlier in the week Uh, Went through a lot of uh, data on Monday. You did, Mm -hmm. and it—you know—sometimes it it takes a couple steps. With his was always so self-evident. Yes. That he's had, he's got a little shtick that he goes on. It's always this cadence to how he writes, and it's sarcastic because you know the the number. There's nothing he didn't need to ever walk you through anything. Mm -hmm. That's the gift he gave us. It's just so black and white in what he uncovered for us and the simple fact of the matter is that really speaks to the last two years if anybody was really interested in being honest it's been some far closer to that black and white than anybody is willing to uh, to let on we knew a lot of things two years ago that we decided to just kill on the spot because they didn't fit the narrative
3: just quickly that the thing that he said towards the end of the conversation talking about the the mask as a religious talisman the, the, the people who most love their masks this gave me the creeps they said well I got it anyway so somebody around me must not have been doing I did everything I was told to do but I still got it anyway, so somebody else right. must be doing something guys that's more akin to a zombie than a free person mm-hmm. that gives me the creeps
1: as it should hour two is next With hour two live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show. D E A C E, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for Steve Dace on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab at Steve Dace Show on Getter. Look for clips of the show for free at Rumble.com Steve Dace Show. As well, If you are a podcast listener, this is your daily plea, please, if you have yet to do so, leave us a five-star review and or hit subscribe or follow, whichever one uh, is applicable to your podcast platform. So many of you have done this, and it has helped with the explosive growth of our show. We want to thank each and every one of you. Thank you. Uh, Also, uh, this part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, coconut brownie chunk remains number two. I just had to verify, will it stay there? So I brought one with me for my noon hour built Bar break. And yes, it will remain number two. Again, I'm, I'm constantly, they have not hired me to do this. But I am Bilt Bar's quality control coach. That's what I'm here for.
2: Always questioning your own data, making I, I sure it's abs- up to par.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. See, Ian Miller, God bless him, he did this with masks. I'm doing this with everything, including Bilt Bar's. Making sure. So, yes, I can verify coconut brownie chunk uh, remains number two uh, in my bill Bar Flavor Power Ratings. And it is a solid number two as well. Uh, and and there are just so many great flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate, loaded with protein, up to 17, 18 grams of protein per bar. Uh, less than, uh, you, almost all of these have 150 calories or less. Uh, just a handful of grams of sugar, carbs. You won't believe that they can be this good. It tastes like a candy bar. You you won't believe it's this good. It isn't like 250 calories with 30 grams of sugar. It's not. Try it for yourself. All right? Call the Bluff and I'll even give you 15% off when you use my last name Dace as your promo code. D E A C E 15% off when you try it or you go back to try it again at built.com for Built Bar. built.com promo code Dace. To theology Thursday, we go. And We are going to spend the bulk, maybe this entire year, uh, going through three books to help us better understand the spirit of the age that we are up against, how it got to where it's at, what it does when it gets there, and then by better studying and understanding our opponent, maybe then we have a plan of how to confront it and defeat it. The first book that we are going through is Dr. Scott Atlas's memoir of his time in the White House on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. It is called A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Last week, we went through the introduction in Chapter 1. This week, we're going to do Chapter 2. And now, Atlas is beginning to be recruited and vetted for joining the White House task force as a, basically a counter to the voices that Mike Pence had assembled and Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci. I'm going to stop there and I want to know from you two the elements of this chapter as Atlas discusses his first introductions to members of the Trump White House, how members of his, his inner circle family and friends were very concerned uh, about him getting into that world because of how hyper politicized it was and that it might harm his credibility, how he originally wanted to kind of do this quietly behind the scenes, right? So that's what a lot of this chapter is about. You guys tell us, tell the audience what stands out to you guys about this chapter, and then we'll discuss spirit of the age or spiritual parallels that coincide with those things
3: it's I'll just give you my 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 gut reaction from from reading this Scott even with you Steve even with us as a show has been prickly when he doesn't like things characterized a certain way or question not characterized a certain way Um, but he's not you know that's just that's just the way he is he's not unkind about it he's not he's not being a jerk but he gets he gets prickly because he's a very precise Diligent, academic in the true word, in true meaning of the sense, mind, and he has to have things a certain way. He wants to lay things out in a very clear way. I don't know how to phrase this without ticking off a large swath of our audience. I really don't. The way he let me let me couch it like this, the way he portrayed it. And it was not in a condescending way that this he writes in a very matter-of-fact way. It was as if when he first went to the White House, which is what this chapter is about, he was walking into a grade school school room or a preschool room. And he was the star of the show, yes, but the level of high-mindedness there was just... There were some bright minds... But the example of Pence showing him basically a, a crudely jaunt. Look at all the tests we administered today, Mister Atlas. It was like reading that was very cringy. I was cringing a lot yep. in this in this chapter. I wish it was. I I really wish. I re, I really hope that this is just an exaggeration. But you've heard if you've heard him. On our show, if we exaggerate or make things a little bit too overstate a case, he gets prickly. He's not one for exaggeration. No,
1: he, this is, I'm glad that you started with that disclaimer because he is very measured. He does not tolerate, um, questions that come from a flawed premise or have incorrect assumptions. He will correct you. He's corrected me as Aaron pointed out, um, there have been plenty of other times we've either asked Scott to come on the show or asked other things of him. Can I say that behind the scenes? Is that okay? Yeah. Um, cause I don't want to like, you know, yeah, violate any confidences or anything, but he has, he, it's because he's measured unless he can say, I mean, if he, if he's not 97% certain is not good enough to this guy. Okay that fair yeah i mean if, if, if unless he can st- stake his entire reputation on something and you see this when you when you when you when you begin this book how often he's rechecking this data his own data how often he's checking with his peers and colleagues i am i missing something this this cannot be this obvious i i've got to be wrong right mm-hmm. this guy is extremely conscientious yep um maybe even to a fault you know because it can paralyze you as well. Um, and it's not like we were asking him to like, you know, hey, do you mind napalming the White House if it No. Like anything that that required any level of projection or calculation. Like, remember, we used to diagram sentences when we were kids, right? And if the sentence got too long, there'd be, you know, off branches and offshoots and corollaries to the main subject predicate period, right? Scott Atlas does not do any offshoots. We can tell you having dealt with him numerous times over the last couple of years. He doesn't do offshoots, doesn't do off branches, right? Doesn't take detours, doesn't fantasticize, doesn't do any of that, man. I mean, there, there is a certain Joe Friday, just the facts, man. to this guy. Yep. It is subject. His, his sentences are easy to, to diagram, He is he is a medical Ernest Hemingway. Very short, choppy sentences. There is no pontification into the ethereal, even based on hardcore data. There's just uh, it's two plus two because and we just added up the amount of pieces we had before was two. We added two, got to four. That's my answer. That's kind of how the guy rolls. And he's very aware of how politicized this has all been. We can also tell you that from behind the scenes. He's very aware of how politicized this has all been, and that has caused him to be even more buttoned down about things. Um, He has been offered opportunities on shows like this, and I'm sure bigger shows, to have the kinds of conversations in hindsight after his experience that are going on in this book. And he turned them all down. And it wasn't, this isn't like some New York Times bestseller or something. I'm sure it has some level of success to it. That's not why he would have done that. I'll just wait till my book. No, it's nope. I'm not saying anything until I write a book, put it all down where I control the entire narrative around it. I mean, the point we're trying to make here is. This guy is as no nonsense, no BS as we've encountered over the last few years on this show, regardless of subject matter, from somebody with expertise, he just doesn't suffer foolishness gladly on like any level at all. Therefore, as Aaron, you just pointed out, I, I would be extremely confident, as I am, and taking his observations and assumptions. You know, we had the conversation with Ian Miller last hour about the data we've been using to debunk their narrative has been their own data this entire time. Mm-hmm. What would happen if we didn't have to go? What would the data look like raw, unfiltered by them? How bad do you think the data is then, right? Similarly, trust in, we all have a bias. We all have biases, we're humans. Scott Atlas's bias You can trust it when it comes to his observations of setting the scene, Because this guy is extremely measured. Extremely. So, when he paints a scene, as you just described, Aaron, of a not very complex, thinking, organized White House ecosystem that he's entering into in the summer of 2020. Very shallow. Yes, very shallow. Surface-level analysis. And look, who are the names he's talking to? The vice president of the United States, he's the head of the task force, Mike Pence. And the first thing he says to him, other than it's it's an honor to meet you, which is just a political BS line, is to brag, Hey, look, look how we're affirming the case-demic narrative against us, that they're using against us, by testing everything that moves, symptomatic or not. And, And by the way, when did this exchange take place? Uh, March twentieth, the week after the lockdowns started. Oh. No, guys, late Jul- or mid July, I think it was. Yep, we were we were nearly six months into this, four months into this. States had already begun reopening. Our state was hosting high school tournaments from across the country in July of two thousand and twenty, guys. NFL training camps were open in July of 2020, and he walks in, and the first thing he hears from the vice president, who's the head of the task force, is what? Hey, man, we're still affirming the very narrative they're using to take us down in the entire country by testing everything that moves, symptomatic or not, We test that turned out to not be reliable, by the way. From a spiritual sense, here's the, here's the lesson for us, I believe. We have to be sons of Issachar, man. People that understand the signs of the times and what to do about them. Jesus chastises the religious leaders in his day. You guys know all these pinpoint things and codicils of of Moses' law. Yeah, you don't know how to read the signs of the times. I'm out here healing, raising from the dead. This is going on right in front of you. And you're concerned about whether my true, I was really born in Nazareth or not. So you can trace back with the meticulous nature of the the most pinpoint notions of your traditions when right in front of you is the fulfillment of your traditions. That's what he's saying to them. I am fulfilling your traditions right now in front of you. I'm doing it, I'm doing the stuff that you read. Priests and prophets and psalmists write about for thousands of years. I'm doing it now. But you're so stuck in the, in the very narrative you're imprisoned with that you just can't recognize it. That's exactly what Scott Atlas walked into there in that White House. Sheep. Yes. Without a shepherd, by the way. And what do sheep do when they don't have a shepherd? Sc- Scatter. And so there's a scatterbrains of opinions. They want him to talk to this person who's, who's a COVID skeptic, this person who's COVID paranoid. When we get in the next chapter, this will happen all the more, by the way, because then Kushner and everybody else gets in on the conversation at that point. Oh, trust me. It gets worse from here. It gets worse from here. Worse. What happened here And you see it right away. Is you had a White House that believed. Because in the end. In the end, a team takes on the identity of its coach, right? You've heard that uh, disclaimer a million times. And the coach of this team views himself, in this case, former President Trump, views himself as the chief gangster in the room. That I can out negotiate, outwit, outlast, outthink, outclever all these reporters, all this media. The problem is, and by the way, he's right about that. That's how he got to the office. <laughs> I'm living proof. I didn't go work in the White House. My guy lost. All right, we raised the most money, we had the most organization. All right, we won the first state. We still lost to that guy. So, in, in, in essence, he's correct. Trump has correctly read the room to a point. He is that guy. That's how he got where he is. But then you got to remember, there's, there's very few memorable lines in episode one, The Phantom Menace. One of them is, there's always a bigger fish. And what happened was, a spirit of the age showed up. Not some metrosexual 28-year-old Washington Post flunky. Not some reporter, NPR reporter no one's ever heard of, or Jim Acosta. No, man. The real thing showed up. Not the pretender. The real evil showed up. The real stuff. The stuff that plays for big cosmic stakes showed up. And he's now suddenly not the biggest gangster in the room. This is going to require something a little bit more than Art of the Deal. And there was no worldview there. There was nothing else. Art of the Deal was as high... was as high as the worldview hierarchy went. It didn't go any higher than that. That was the the apex of it. It's like a football coach who... it's like Daryl Royal. I practically invented the wishbone offense... And it worked for so long. And then finally, I get to a bowl game, and the other team's like, Why don't we just put like nine guys in the box and just tackle everything that moves, and they can't run it? And then, how many years did we see growing up, Todd, in the 80s and 90s? The last remaining of those wishbone teams would go to those bowl games down south, right? And those in Miami or Florida State or one of those teams, what would they do? Put eight or nine guys in the box, say, We're just going to tackle everything. And they, right. Yeah. And now they, and, but now they don't know what to do. This, they got here doing this. That's all they know how to do, and it was great for a time, and then they ran into something that was like, yeah, we're not going to let you do that anymore. And they're like, oh, and then I guess we just lose the Orange Bowl every year for 10 years in a row. That's what happened. That's what happened here. The real evil, the real stuff shows up, and the, the elevator has no other floor. The top floor, the penthouse, says art of the deal. And so there's no other discernment. No other depth of worldview. No one to read the signs of the times. And here you have the guy who's the vice president, supposedly super Christian. His worldview, already, he already demonstrated as governor, his worldview doesn't go any higher than that. Hell, he succumbed to the spirit of the age before he ever got to the White House, when he was governor of Indiana, when he sold us out on religious liberty. That's why Mike Pence's career was over until he got on Trump's ticket. But there's what they brought this guy in. Should I go there? I'm going to go there. This, what you see, this is King Zedekiah bringing Jeremiah in. Boy, we're in a pickle here, Jerry. Hezekiah is outside the city gate. We're totally surrounded. And. I need, I need, I need, now it's time. We, we ignored all these prophets all this time that with their stupid message of repentance and everything else, we, we, we kind of need to hear one now. So what's the plan and how are we making Israel great again? And Jeremiah is like, well, um, first, let me tell you, I'm not going to say anything that God doesn't want me to say. One of the first things Scott Atlas says to this White House is, I'm not going to tell you anything and say anything to you other than what I believe to be true. I'm not I'm not going to push your narrative opposite theirs. I just want to know what the truth is, and I'm going to tell the truth. And invariably, no man can rise above their own worldview, Todd. And so with Trump, there's an excuse, at least on a spiritual level. With Mike Pence, there isn't one. He's supposedly super Christian. And he's the most given over to the to, 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 to the enemy's talking points of anybody Scott Atlas encounters in these first few chapters. Your thoughts.
2: I have two main ones and you've touched on them in some fashion. Uh, it, I I haven't read ahead like you'd be on this chapter, but I, I fear that. Atlas was brought in for nothing more than a political calculation because Atlas says he came in there and everybody knew who he was and was familiar with some of the things he's uh, said. And again, that's not a very negotiable thing. He makes it very clear and had for many months before that who he is, what I'm about, we're doing it wrong. And yet he comes in there and is greeted not only by the crude case chart that you're talking about from uh the uh vice president but a what was it What Kushner walking in like how do we parse this tweet on wearing masks oh I dudes? forgot that is in this chapter yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. and
1: it's so now the the tweet they were going to put out was a tw- they, they're running Trump's Twitter account and they were going to put out from President Trump's Twitter account that everyone needs to wear a mask yeah. to stop COVID-19 yeah. so and Atlas is like yeah, that's actually not what the data says. Right. And then somebody's like, "Well, this is what the poll numbers." And, say. and the poll show even right. Republicans want to wear masks. Right. Yes, that but, was their response to Atlas. But they're yes.
2: doing it right in front of him. He's not a stranger. They know who he is. They brought him in purposely. Yet they're doing all this stuff right in front of him. So this wasn't about an about face on the science. It clear. It, it just. I, I don't know. I'm going to read the next chapter. I'll say if I'm wrong. But because here, listen, general... You're, you're, you're not going to be wrong. President Lincoln, it took a while to get past uh, McClellan. And McClellan, who ended up being his opponent in a presidential race. And, and McClellan, his lead general, and his his safety dance that he was always doing. And he wouldn't go in. And then there were other shots. It took a while to get to Grant and the line. Why did you... He fights. it. So we could have... like Trump... I, Fauci he's been there forever he's a science guy I, I can see why it took a while to get to the summer to bring Atlas there but then you're there because you realized we got to do something different right we're bringing him in here for the science we got to do it differently no nope. Scott Atlas instantly his spidey sense was up like uh is this for is this for real?
1: It's really you as know, bad as I feared it was. You know
2: who I am. You know mm-hmm. what I believe. And this isn't like an all hands, stop everything we're doing. Get in here, Scott Atlas. I'm sorry I didn't have you in here earlier. The, his, he's writing that cha- this chapter we're talking about just like it is. It is the White House from Don't Look Up. That's the vibe I'm getting.
1: Yep. And you have to understand if you read this book, Atlas's style is extremely understated because that's his yeah. personality. So, this isn't rhetorical flourishes on his part. He's literally just writing and the next morning I woke up and I had my danish and my coffee and went to this meeting and here's what they said. That that's 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 his writing style. It is again, I used a Hemingway comparison. It is very very short sentences. It's very matter of fact. There aren't like rhetorical flourishes going on here. His first meeting that he ever has with Jared Kushner is an attempt to see if he'll sign off on a tweet from the president yeah. saying that everybody, want, everybody needs to wear masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. It's his first ever interaction with Jared Kushner. First ever. Arguably the most powerful man in the Trump White House other than Donald Trump himself, his son-in-law. Which I, I flew five
2: hours for this. Really? Yeah. This is what we're doing? Okay, secondly, and listen, Mike Pence, we have allowed, as a church, broadly speaking, to let he, a guy like Mike Pence become the archetype of Christian manhood it's just being uber nice and wearing a nice suit to church and raising a family that kind of has the right optics I, we, we've got to stop that people like him Christian men like him are actually destroying Western civilization because they're not ultimately bound. I'm not saying he isn't a Christian ultimately in terms of his uh, love for the Lord, but your, your dedication to truth is not fundamentally about being nice and over. And we have so many examples of now of leadership opportunities that he has been put in and he has been the main reason we've got our ass kicked over and over and over again. Or men like him. Yes. We got that. That's got to stop. Our, this is why trans transgenderism is so bad. It's not just about crappy books in the library. It's we, Christian men transgendered themselves. They have no idea who they are called to be in these moments. That's what Steve's point when it gets really real. What are you prepared to do? And Mike Pence got out his crayons and his paper and he made a nice chart for everybody. I hope there was some nice hot cocoa as well.
1: The reason we're so hard on him is because he is supposed to know better. He's supposed to understand the signs of the times. He's supposed to have a different level of discernment. The reason he was put on that ticket by Trump was to assure his evangelical base, that even if you were, if you were concerned about Trump's past or his currents uh, or his present or his morality now or past years or his progressively left of center family uh, daughter and son-in-law, et cetera, that this guy would be your watchman on the wall. He's heart, a heartbeat away from the presidency. He's one of you, right? That's why he's there. He's one of you. And he's going to be sort of the conscience of the West Wing here, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, you know it's it's fascinating. In, in, in the book of Ezekiel, God makes a point of criticizing the watchman on the wall. He says, "Yes, the people who sin and the, they will be held accountable for their sins, but the watchman on the wall, the those that I appointed." I gave revelation to, to know better, and I appointed to prophesy or to tell the truth to them. Prophecy is not just future casting. In fact, most of the time, that's not what it means. Most of the time, it means telling truth. God revealed truth. Those that I gave that appointment and that calling and that revelation to, that they didn't share it, they didn't speak up, I'm going to hold them even more accountable. Because they were the ones that should have known better, didn't Act on it. Didn't warn the people. They're worse than culpable. They're maybe even responsible. That's what we're talking about yeah. here. He was to be the voice. If, if there should be a moment like this where Trump's carnal basic instincts that have served him mostly well throughout his life and led to all the success that he's had from a worldly perspective... But should the presidency present a moment where, where he's, Trump's going to learn there's more to life than playing the game of Survivor for 84 years? There's more than outwit, outlast, outplay. That sometimes real evil shows up. The real stuff. Not the fake stuff they're trying to emulate at the New York Times op-ed page. The real McCoy. Lucky Lucifer himself shows up. You're there because you are like, oh, I know. Oh, that's why I'm here. I see. I recognize it. I get the game plan. Hey, guys, listen up. Nope. Here's my color-coded case-demic chart. Aren't you proud? Aren't you proud that we're doing exactly what the enemy wanted us to do while saying we're killing grandma at the same time anyway? More in a moment. You know, the three-week rule uh, is something uh, that our friends at ScoreMaster are advising you to consider before you get that auto loan, that home loan, or the refi, or uh, any other thing you want to finance or a business loan. Why? Because in about three weeks, the average ScoreMaster user can raise their score about 60 points. How? Because ScoreMaster puts the information that they have on you. I mean, they'll tell you your score and stuff, but... Why do you have that score? What what specifically is the reason you have that score? And then what specifically or how specifically can you get to the score that you want, right? That sort of information empowers you as opposed to gives people power over you. And that's why you should have it. Scoremaster deems to give it to you. And I used Scoremaster last year to help get my credit score to a point that I could get an obscenely low interest rate for the refi of our home last fall. So if you want to give it a shot right now, it takes just about a minute to get started uh, and and find out where you're at, how many, must, how many more plus points you could get to when you go to scoremaster.com slash steve. One more time, that is scoremaster.com slash Steve. Todd, before we uh, move on, you were talking last hour about the whole McClellan and Lincoln thing. Mm -hmm. And it jarred my memory. The first time I publicly called for Trump to remove Anthony Fauci. Yeah. In April of 2020, it was a column I wrote for The Blaze comparing Fauci to a McClellan. That this is not the kind of wartime general that you're looking for. Do you remember that? I'd completely. I vaguely do now, but I, I I'd completely I, forgot. I had completely forgotten about that. Those were simpler times. <laughs> the idea that Fauci could just be this bad at this, and then we've learned twenty three later, twenty three months later, he's that good at he's this. He's just this good at this. <sighs> yeah. It's time for three non-political questions.
3: A depressing note. Fauci is not bad at this; he's just really good at it. Let's get stupid, gentlemen. So originally, <laughs> as
1: opposed to where we
3: already were, yes. So originally, Steve was actually going to uh, get out of here right after that uh, live read, so he could catch his flight down to Dallas. And so uh, I didn't know. I, I did well. Things got rearranged, reshuffled, and now he's actually going to be with us for the rest of the show and the rest of Overtime. But before I knew that, I prepared a six-question segment of three questions because the number three identifies as the number six. Only three of them are actually questions. The other three I just designed to get Todd's gut reaction, which I find I find amusing uh, on the questions like I'm going to ask. I don't know if any of you will, but... I'm a millennial, and it's kind of all about me anyway. So question number one. At least you own that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Question number one. Why do golfers take an extra pair of socks when they hit the links?
1: They do? I didn't know that they did.
3: In case they get a hole in one. Question two. What's the biggest mistake you've made that actually turned out to be beneficial?
1: After that joke, hiring you? (laughs) Oh, uh, but wait, there's more Shamwell. The biggest mistake I made that turned out to be beneficial. um i'll st- I'll start. Yeah, you go first because it's not that I, it's just that I've made a ton of mistakes, so I, I'm trying to filter through all of them. But go ahead. I, 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 would say,
3: I would say uh, I, and I'm, I just mean this as a general rule anymore, most of the time, unless you're on scholarship or you have a very, very specific reason while you're going there, going to college is a mistake. It really is. If you're just going there to go to college, it's a mistake. Now, in that respect, I guess it's not necessarily a mistake, but in general terms, in those general terms, going to college was a mistake. But I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had because I went there for a very specific purpose. So I would say as a general rule going to college is a mistake unless you're there on a scholarship or something like that. but it you know it turned out to be very beneficial
1: you know what that I think you've pinpointed what i how I would answer choosing to try to ma- uh, major in um uh party balls, intramural basketball, and super tech mobile for an entire academic year in college uh, and getting kicked out, having to you know. I mean, start all over. I mean, I was working at manpower, which is not just you know where the bar Lindsey Graham hangs out in there in suburban uh, d c uh, it's a temp agency um I, I mean, I had to i mean i had I was working in a mail room uh, when I met my wife. I mean, that stupid mistake forced me to take the dirt road, man, and start completely at the bottom and um, and humbled me quite a bit. I mean, I went from most likely to succeed in high school to essentially a, a loser who is about to become another statistic of wasted human potential. So that would be my answer. That's a good one. Go ahead.
2: Well, after I graduated from the University of Wisconsin, I went on, I, I always wanted to live in the mountains. So I, I, I moved to Utah and I went to the University of Utah and I was going to be, become a teacher and i ha and i still i'm i'm i have a romantic tendency uh about me uh and i think that's is
1: that did you did did you just lie
2: why i do
3: i love how he said that so matter of factly really like he didn't even yes, it wasn't even hard for him to mr get vinegar it
1: out. vinegar yeah. is, um, but is but this is
3: i have a romantic
1: tendency is about chocolate. Me. Um, I'm, I'm 10 minutes from grand torinoing myself, mm-hmm. but I just want you to know that I I, 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 deep down, I'm a hopeless romantic, but go ahead.
2: I, well, it's true. We're, okay. uh, we're all multifaceted okay. creatures here. Uh, but <laughs> I, it got, I, I, it was abundantly clear to me. I, I was gonna lose my mind, uh, as a teacher and I, I never completed so i wasted the money as far as i got just dropped out and 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 it so it's a bit like steve's i just i i realized that while that i needed to hyper focus in this world that is riddled with sin what are my goals what, what are my intentions uh because it I, I could have carried on with that and i could have been deeply unhappy and i could have then while shattering my soul still had a job had to pay the bills and proceeded to shatter the souls of others you know you got it, it 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 taught me a very clear-headed lesson about uh the wages of sin in this very comfortable we can do whatever we want be whoever we want to be uh sort of world that nope uh i needed to do i needed to raise the bar higher
3: All right. Question number three. Did you hear about those new chocolate record players? No. Sounds pretty sweet. Question four. If you were the czar of college athletics, what would be your day one agenda?
2: I'm glad you're here so you can bear the burden of this as well. What was
1: the question? I I, I get to repeat that after whatever the hell that was originally. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What was the question?
3: <laughs> if you were the czar of college athletics, all college athletics, what would be your day one agenda?
1: Um, I would have, uh, I would streamline the rule book to the following rules: you can't pay players directly as a nonprofit university unless they are employees. However. Whatever they choose to do on their own time, they are all legal adults. Whatever they choose to do on their own time that is not illegal and generates an income is between them and the IRS. Number two, um, we will have penalties about harboring violent offenders or criminals and and, uh, harming the academic reputation of the university akin to uh, driving the Audubon in Germany. You can drive whatever speed limit you want practically, but if we pull you over with a DUI, your license gone for EVs. That's it. Those are the only rules we have. You are not, there's zero tolerance for violating the academic integrity of the university, meaning basket weaving classes. I don't have to be a student, those kinds of things. I don't care if the students go online, if they they take all their classes online at the football, I don't give a crap about that. But once we find out, if they're not doing their own work, and they're not really students, that you're going to besmirch the academic integrity of the university and or we end up in a situation like with Baylor football or anything of that nature. uh, Gone. Gone. Like five years of no postseason kind of stuff. Just, we will decimate you. Those are the only three rules we have. Everything else, conferences, you guys decide. You want 12 teams, 25 teams. You want divisions, you don't. You guys all decide that on your own. These are our three rules, and that's it. The first rule, the IRS enforces, and the other two, we will, and punitively. That's all. That's it. That's what I would do. Mm,
2: uh, this is being done uh, in some areas uh, to as an emphasis, but not as an out-and-out out tithe, and I think I would make it mandatory that a certain percentage of your name image and likeness would have to be given uh to uh be part of or given to some sort of uh charitable uh organization as for uh the transfer portal i and see like I, i'm not i could have just said i'm getting rid of name image and likeness and the transfer portal i just i do think that horse has left the barn at least to which I, I believe it's going to get crazy and dumb. And I think we just need to see that to there's just way too much of an appetite in pe- and people posing this as a great moral injustice. That's been over time. There's dumb people need to learn that that's just silly and nonsense, but within the transfer portal, I, I would say that there has to be a cost because you're going into an agreement at the beginning and there's no guarantee that you're going to be the starting anything i think if you're going to transfer you should not be able to get a 100 percent scholarship where you're transferring if it's a big enough deal that you're going to break that contract on your end and go to another school for what you see is more playing time you should have to pick up part of the freight on that and i think people will still go but i don't think it will get as it would get as crazy and dumb as it's going to without that
3: I would, um, I would, I would immediately, I would immediately move to, um, take a cut of every conference TV ad revenue and redistribute. I'm sorry. Spread the wet. I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm trying to make this. In somewhat of a in somewhat of a fashion, where teams that actually exceed expectations or get to a certain threshold have some sort of a bonus sitting at the end of the rainbow or at the end of the season, there without making it into a salary cap situation like the NFL or uh, shared revenue like the NFL, I would devise a system like that that would be just completely probably doomed to fail. Um, Secondly, I'd get rid of this transfer portal. So what I'm really telling you here is, I would be a terrible czar of college <laughs> football or college athletics. Uh, question five: Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? Oh no, it was too tired.
2: Is, are you telling these jokes to Ben to get him to fall asleep? No.
1: Um, you know th- what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give the audience something it really wants right now. Oh, no. A live read. Okay. <laughs> that would be better than what this has become. In these unprecedented times. Bing. Make sure if you're going into the real estate market that you do so with an agent you can trust. You'll find just such a person. Kind of has a nifty little name there. Uh, com. That's a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates because, well... They unfortunately ran into real estate agents they found out too late they could not trust. They did not want that to happen to the rest of us. So they got together, found out, starting in their own audience. There were quite a few good agents around the country, and that kind of blew up to become the company that it is today. Just about anywhere you want to move to or from, we can help you at realestateagentsitrust.com. One more time, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. You're welcome, America.
3: Final question. What is the most difficult team sport championship to win? can be athletic, or I'm sorry, collegiate, amateur, professional, whatever. Um, so this has to be team sport.
1: I think it's a pretty easy answer. You do? Actually. What do you think the answer is? It's college basketball. Because of the randomness? The randomness and the number of teams, yeah. You know what? I, I think you might be right about that. Because I was... So here's where I was hit pausing. I was doing the math in my inner computer, looking at what sport could I think of that has that has the least amount of of dynasties, okay? So even as much parodies we've had in oh, the NFL, we've had plenty of dynasties, Approach. okay? NBA just NBA goes, goes from kind of dynasty to dynasty in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. Even with their salary cap. Major League Baseball, um, baseball can be random and but but and the Yankees are consistently good. But there have been just in the last 40, 50 years, all kinds of dynasties. The Oakland A's, the Reds, the Orioles, the Yankees, the Red Sox were a mini dynasty for a while in the Schilling era. Okay, Uh, and even beyond that era. So I hadn't gotten to college basketball yet because I was going to go to hockey. Hockey's out of, you know, a slew of dynasties there. Now that you mention it. Yeah. The randomness, well, hockey, you know, college basketball had the ultimate dynasty in UCLA with John Wooden, mm-hmm. but that was before we had a 64 and now 68 team field. When Wooden coached, you only one team from mm-hmm. a conference could get in. So you might have, you know, a top five or top 10 team that doesn't make the tournament because they didn't win their conference. It's just a more, it, the, the field is deeper, the randomness of, of officiating, the randomness of, of shooting the ball. Some nights the ball goes in and you pull an upset. Like I remember when Villanova beat Georgetown and halftime, Billy Packer's like, I don't think the only way Villanova is going to hold on here is if they don't miss a shot in the second half. They missed one shot in the second half and pulled off the upset. Okay, that's just the randomness of the sport. I think you might be right. I think it might be college basketball. There really hasn't been a great dynasty. We've even we've we've only had a couple of repeat champions since UCLA. We have
3: great teams every now and then. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, might no, be no dynasties. What
2: do you think? I'm sold. I was that was in my head early on, but I. St- it was gonna start wandering through other ones, but I don't think there's any point of wandering anymore. I think that's case closed, Aaron.
3: All right. We got stupid, gentlemen. Or I did. And I enjoyed it.
1: Vicky just emailed us oh, and no. said if she was NCAA czar, her one rule would be no trannies. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're done here now. I think we're I think we're done. Um uh, Back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Hall of Famer Glenn Beck. Uh, Until then, John 317.
0: This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.